All right, we'll go ahead and start. Um, so welcome. Um, I think most of y'all know, but in the summertime is when we plan all of our Bible study pages. And so, you know, last summer in the middle of COVID, uh, my life was pretty crazy with all these four kids running around. And there's approximately one million sermons on the prodigal son. <laughs> so I was talking to my neighbor and I was like, I'm just trying to find a sermon on the prodigal son. And she was like, have you ever listened to Dr. Young's sermon, There Was a Man? And I was like, no, I haven't. And um, so I started listening to that sermon. And I really will never forget it. It was a moment in my life where all I could think about was myself and how hard life was in the moment. And as I listened to that sermon, um, my present little sufferings, if you can even call it that, seemed to grow really dim in light of this man that Dr. Young introduced us to. So um, I love his take on the sermon. If you did not listen to that, please listen to it. You'll learn a lot more there than you will here today. Um, and we're going to talk about that at the end. But before we jump into the parables, I do want to start by reading those first two verses because it's really the setup for what Jesus is doing for us today. So let's look at Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus has been very vocal about the Pharisees and their hypocritical nature, right? He's been pretty intense lately. The Pharisees think they're righteous, they're moral, they're holy, they do everything right. Yet we know that their heart is far from God. When Jesus speaks... He is exposing the Pharisees, and they do not like it. So let's talk about being exposed for a second. Does that come natural to us, to be exposed? We see back in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to them? They were naked, they were ashamed, they were exposed, and they hid. So I think it's very easy for us when we are exposed to want to hide. We'll come back to that in just a second. So in this passage, the Pharisees are grumbling about the kinds of people that Jesus is spending his time with. The Pharisees think that the tax collectors and sinners do not deserve to be in company with Jesus. God's grace and forgiveness should not be extended to such low life, right? But this is why we love the tax collectors and sinners, right? They're exposed, they're dirty, they can't hide their sin anymore, and what are they doing? They're drawing near to Jesus. We know people like this in our life, don't we? Those people that are raw and honest and real. They see their need for Jesus, and it's just super refreshing. Remember, Jesus told us back in Luke 5, 32, he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And remember, a sinner is someone who admits their need for Jesus, someone who is humble and knows that they cannot enter the kingdom of God on their own merit. Someone who glories not in their own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. We can be sure that these parables will point us to that the way to Jesus is humility. Alistair Begg says this. I love this quote. The Bible calls us to be as honest about ourselves as the Bible is honest about ourselves. But the problem for many of us is that we are dishonest about ourselves. Therefore, we do not like the honesty of the Bible. Before we jump in, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help expose us and be honest with ourselves and see the honesty of the Bible. 
Lord, we're so thankful for your word. The world around us screams so many other messages than what your word tells us. Today is such a beautiful picture of your great redeeming love that we don't deserve. But God, before we get to that point, would you show us how much we need you? If there is something in our heart that we are just not wanting to face and focus on, will you please show us that sin? Would you help us to confess it? Give us the gift of repentance so that we could draw near to you. Thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so today I'm going to focus on three short points. The first one is that we are more like the prodigal son than we see. So we see in Luke 15 that there are three parables about lost things. So let's talk about being lost for a second. When we are young, being lost from our parents is about the worst thing that can happen, right? A lot of us have memories of like Disney World, Six Flags, where either you got lost or your sibling got lost, and it was terrifying. But think about when you feel lost when you get older, back to that hiding. We don't like to face it, do we? We try to hide this. When we feel lost, we try to cover up this lostness with maybe distracting ourselves. We can do a number of things to distract ourselves. Maybe we try to control things. We can turn to eating disorders, keeping our house real clean, whatever we do to make ourselves busy. Sometimes we can even numb this lost feeling, right? Pills, drugs, alcohol, whatever we can do so that we won't feel lost because it's a terrible feeling, right? But what if one of the major purposes of this life is to make us feel lost so that the greatest thing can be to be found by Jesus? Let's look at the younger brother's lostness in this first point. We are more like the prodigal son than we see. It's easy to see the younger brother's lostness, right? What did he do? He squandered all of his money and reckless living. He was so hungry that he was sitting with pigs and he was longing to eat what the pigs ate. So at first glance, it's not very relatable, is it, us and the prodigal son? We have homes, large homes, we have lots of money, and we certainly aren't hungry. So how in the world are we like the prodigal son? Let's look at the first thing that he says in verse 12. Give me my share of the property that is coming to me. So what do we see about his attitude? He is demanding and he is impatient. Give me what I want and give it to me now. This attitude creeps in on us, doesn't it? Matthew Henry says, The folly of a sinner and that which ruins us is to have our portion in hand now, in this lifetime, to have good things. So what is he saying? To strive for everything we want and to get those good things now when we want them ruins us. Matthew Henry also said, It is bad and the beginning of worse when men look upon God's gifts as debts. What has God given us that we think we deserve? What are we demanding from God? God, give me this. I deserve this. Give it to me now. And we can turn to so many things we think we deserve, right? Our health, marriage, kids, only a good marriage, only good kids, good retirement, what are we demanding from God and saying, I will not wait anymore. Give me what I want. 
I think one of the major things where God has broken me lately is living for an easy life and happiness. As most of you know, I'm married. I have four boys. They're eight, five, four, and two. These little boys are some of my greatest gifts. I would lay in the middle of the road and die for them. Yet I have to admit, the last several years, I feel like I've just lived in this attitude of frustration, complaining, grumbling, weariness. I just couldn't shake it. But I couldn't figure it out. All I've wanted my whole life is to be a mom. But I just didn't think it was going to be so hard. And it's hard for me to admit it's hard. And it's hard for me to admit that I feel so lost in this role that I have wanted my entire life. And in one of my weary, complaining moments, praise the Lord for women around this church, I was talking to a woman, and I said to her, you know what, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I daydream about running away. I wasn't cut out to be a mom of four boys. This is just too hard. And this woman, in the most loving yet straightforward way, looked at me and said, I'm so sorry, Erin, but that's what God has given you. And when she said that, it jolted me back to the truth, and it made me see that in my heart, I was demanding, I want to be a mom, but I don't want it to be like this. I don't want it to be this hard. You see, I had a child. I have a child. And for four years, you can ask my sweet sister who talked me out of the gutter so many days, but for four years, every single day, he woke up ready to fight me. All day long, every single day, four years straight, he fought me. Didn't matter what it was. And on the inside, I was furious. God, why would you give it to me like this? I don't deserve this. I'm following you. Please, please remove this hardship for me. And it's hard to explain how lost and how lonely I felt. I want to read a quote to you from Elizabeth Elliot. This job has been given to me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I make to God. Therefore, it is to be done gladly if it is done for him. Here not somewhere else may I learn God's way. In this job, not in some other, God looks for faithfulness. Do we look at the life that God has given us and see it as a privilege, that it is a way that we can learn to be more faithful, be more selfless, be more holy, or do we demand something different? Do we bolt and run away because this is not the life that I want? We've got to move on to our second point, but that second point is about the older brother. We are very susceptible to have the heart of the elder brother, aren't we? The first thing we see about the older brother in verse 25, he was in the field, right where he should be, doing his duty. Now, there's nothing wrong with being in the field doing your duty, but when we look deeper at his motivation, it's very simple. So let's look around the room. We are the people that come to Bible study. We go to church. We teach Sunday school. We serve in the youth group. We lead MITs. We take people meals when they're hurting. We are doing our duty as a Christian. We are the hard workers. 
But I think what we have to ask ourselves is does this duty make us angry, bitter, judgmental, covetous? That's what it did to the elder brother, and we can be sure that his heart was far from God. Let's go back to the Alistair Begg quote. Many of us are dishonest about ourselves. Therefore, we do not like the honesty of the Bible. So let's just take a moment to be honest. Are we more angry than we are joyful? And really think about it. And I know a lot of us in this room are struggling. There are hard things in our life. There's a lot of grief. I'm not asking, are we happy? Can we find joy and in the hope of heaven, joy in Christ, even in the midst of our pain and suffering? That four years I was talking about earlier, I had a really hard time doing that. I saw anger in myself and covetous like I'd never seen before. Look at her life. Her kids are so sweet. Yet everywhere I go, my kid throws the most massive fit. People are looking at me, judging me, pitying me, and I was furious. I was so angry. There was nothing I could do to this child. I couldn't discipline him more. I couldn't divert him. I couldn't spend alone time with him. Nothing would change him. But God was breaking me because I needed it, and I still do. This child's discipline was about me. It wasn't about him. I wanted my life to be easier, and I wanted everybody to think I was doing such a great job as a mom. And this is what we see in the older brother, right? His obedience was about him. It had absolutely nothing to do with the father's great love. And we see that it also made him delusional. What does he say? I have never disobeyed you one time. When we try to earn the father's love, it makes us delusional. We're never told if the older brother repents. It's like Jesus throws it out there to the crowd and says, what will you do with this enlightenment? of the true picture of what is in your heart. Sure, we could ask ourselves the same question. We've got to move to that third most glorious point. The Father's great love should change us. This man, as Dr. Young told us, this man, this father, is the hero of the story. Without the Father, there is no hope. But there is a Father, and he has the greatest redeeming love we have ever seen. He is the hero because he goes and he finds and he gets lost things. His great love is shown to us because he celebrates and he throws a feast over his children. The first thing we see the father do is give his younger son his inheritance. Why would the father do this? Surely this father knew his boy, right? He probably knew that he wasn't going to make the wisest decision with all this inheritance, right? But we know and we see even in the story that sometimes God gives us earthly things in order that we may be humbled. We need to be humbled because it's that humility that admits our need for Jesus. We don't want to be needy, but we must be needy to need Jesus. The younger son was in the pit of despair. He had nothing. He knew he was lost and he knew he needed help. And verses 20 through 24 is such a beautiful picture. I'm going to read it for us today. And he arose, the younger son that is, he arose and came to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. The son is returning home. And what does, he, what does he deserve? Matthew Henry paints a beautiful picture of his condition. The son is guilty, he's dirty, he's hungry, and he actually deserves to be beaten for what he has done. Yet before the son can even say anything, what does the father do? While he is still a long way off, the father sees him. He's waiting, he's watching. All he cares about is that son coming back. And then what does he do next? He feels compassion. He feels compassion before the son says anything, which shows us the father's great love has absolutely nothing to do with us. His grace is a free gift that he loves to give us, and he abundantly lavishes on us. Then the father gets up and runs. He doesn't care about being honorable. He doesn't care about the disgrace of hiking up that robe and running. And he runs and gets his that son as fast as he can. And he embraces and he kisses this dirty, stinky, helpless, needy son whom he loved more than the son could even understand at this point. And the son barely gets his confession out before the father, sh- father is lavishing him with robes, a ring, shoes, covering his shame with the righteousness of Christ and seeing only his child that he loves. He doesn't stop there, but he throws a huge celebration, a feast. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time believing this a lot of days. Why would the father rejoice over me? A sinner a repeat offender, somebody that has nothing to offer. I feel like I should be so much further down the road in my sanctification and my self-denial and love for others. Maybe the point is, is that if I was further down the road, I wouldn't feel that I need Jesus as much as I do. But the truth is, God comes and gets us. That Father loves us more than we can ever understand. I feel like I can't leave today with completely throwing that child under the bus that I talked about. That child is slowly turning into the sweetest, most generous, most repentant kid that I have. He has started saying to me all the time, Mom, I'm so tired of sinning. I just want to go to heaven where I will sin no more and be with Jesus. And when he says this, I'm reminded that a perfect, obedient child is not where it begins. It begins with confession and repentance and seeing our sin. And I pray that the Father will draw him in and rescue him, because apart from that, there is no hope. I do not know the road that lies ahead for him or any of my other sons, but I do pray that God will humble them and draw them to himself, no matter the cost, no matter the pain, 
no matter the scars, that he will just go get them and change them. So today, if you remember anything, remind yourself that if you are a child of God, when you are like a lost sheep, he will come after you. He will pick you up. He will carry you on his shoulders. He will take you to safety, and he will rejoice over you like you were the only one. Do you know how much worth you have in your father's eyes? For you are like an extremely precious coin that was lost and was sought out diligently until you were found. And when we are rebellious and demanding and spend all of our money and energy on making ourselves happy, he comes and he gets us. He runs and covers us with the blood of Jesus and rejoices over us and celebrates us and gives us a great feast. The Father's great love should change everything. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for this picture you've shown us today. It feels like it's been a long winter and a long season of sickness and isolation. Yet you've shown us that your great love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't matter how lost we are. You come and get us and you save us and you show us the way. God, I pray today that these great, um, this great truth will change us, that it will change your people, and that you will use us to go out and just love those around us, that you will remind us that this is such a free gift, that it will change us to live freely to give to others. We are so thankful for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.